Everything you need is within you. Together, we will explore and deepen our innate connection back to self and spirit. We are the Oracles. We are the Oracles. Welcome to Magical Teas with the Oracles. I am your co-host, Allie. And in today's episode, we, the Oracles, will be discussing divination. We will be going over different types of divination there are and our experience with them. But before we get started, let's do a quick check-in. Arlene, how are you doing? Hello, everyone. I am doing so well. Earlier, right before we got together for this recording, I took a very delicious bath um, that included like a scrub. And then right after um, I used the oils that you gave me for that or in that corazon box that you gave me like a long time ago, but I still have it and I still use it. And so I just feel, I just feel fresh. I feel clean. I feel ready. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Um, I guess it's that Venus vibes because I took a shower and everything before and got all clean also just to like re-energize me and to get rid of whatever was going on this week. But I feel pretty good. And today's a full moon. It is sidereal in Capricorn and what is it in tropical? Aquarius. Aquarius. Okay. Because it transitioned like around 10 this morning when it went to the next sign. So we are Aquarius and Capricorn energy at the moment. And we are in Leo season. Yeah, tropically. Yeah. And then sidereal is we're still in Cancer. Okay. I I follow the tropical more. I know you follow the sidereal more, but I feel like I should like do my research and also do sidereal. But I am so glad that you are, we're ready. We're excited. So Arlene, would you like to tell our listeners what teas we will be discussing today yes so today we will be discussing like you mentioned a little earlier we will be discussing divination types of divination like tarot oracle bibliomancy creature divination egg limpias palmistry coffee tea and intuitive journaling so um we'll also be discussing the do's and don'ts of you know what we what we have listened not listened but what we have heard and then what we have come across in regards to the types of divination we will be talking to or we'll we will be talking about and so what is divination divination is the practice of seeking knowledge of the future or the unknown by supernatural means it is to be inspired by god And it is the attempt to gain insight into a question or situation by way of standardized process or ritual. The word originates from Latin, which is, so the word divination comes from the Latin word divinare, which means predict. And so in the late Middle English, it was actually, it later transformed into divine. So divinare, divine, predict. And so In this episode, we will be discussing the tools and talismans that help aid us through this spiritual journey, should you choose to embark on it. Divination is our tools that, you know, to help you, to help give you clarity, understanding, to make things, to bring them into our awareness. And 
there's different types of tools, different ways you can divine. Pretty much if you can get a message from it, you can pretty much use it as divination. But you also want to be very aware of what you're using and just what you're doing. You kind of just don't want to go just like willy-nilly. Some teachings that I've learned through the teachings of Don Juan, he talks a little bit about power objects and tools. And this is his statement. The power of objects depends on its owner, on the kind of man he is. A power object fostered by a lesser brujo is almost a joke. On the other hand, a strong, powerful brujo gives his strength to his tools. So to me, that's like, it's referring to the power of an object or tool is only as powerful as who, as the one that wields it. And then he also says, power rests on the kind of knowledge one holds. What are the sense of knowing things that are useless? First topic that we're going to be going over is tarot. I've heard tarot. If you have searched any kind of things that's magical, you'll see cards illustrated in different genres and themes. We're going to go over is like the basic of what they first started, just to give you a background of what they are. Tarot is a 72 deck card deck that depicts the experiences of the human journey. It's a well-known divination tool, most popular in the world at this time. You can see it all over social media. But originally, origin of tarot is, is unknown. But as far as that could be traced back is 14th century in France and Italy. And at first, they were just like playing cards that were used in like parlor games. And those cards were created with four different suits. So you have the wand, the coins, cup, and sword. Uh, you can pretty much find those four suits within the original tarot that we know today. So in the mid-1400s, artists began to paint additional cards. Mainly, they featured wealthy people, people that could paint, that paint, that could pay for a commission because a lot of that was done by hand. They didn't have iPads that printed, you know? So the families of the Visconti, who ruled Milan at the time, they had their own um, tarot deck, the Visconti Tarot. And that was commissioned by artist Bonifacio Bembo, which was a, a wedding gift. One of the first tarot decks was released by French occultist Jean-Baptiste Aliette. The tarot is also linked to Kabbalah, Greece, um, Egyptian te teachings and philosophies. One of the well-known decks is a Rider Waite Smith tarot deck. Other decks were based off those illustrations that were created by illustrator Pamela Smith. She was a mystic also. If you've never seen a tarot deck, think of 78 cards and all of them are fully illustrated. They're made up of two parts. So the major arcana, uh, which are huge events, details of all the human experience. And then the, the minor uh, arcana that shows smaller but you know more important details of a human experience that kind of give you more insight arcana is defined as secrets and mysteries so the major arcana it's 21 cards it's the major players within the tarot and the, like major events in, in a person's life and it starts from card zero all the way to the world card uh, which is 21. So card zero is the full. So it starts from there and then ends at the war card. 
uh, the major arcana captures the landmarks and the lessons that a person can experience through a lifetime. It's the slow journey one makes throughout. So a list, I'll give you a brief list of the 21 cards. They start with zero, so the full, and then you move to the magician, and which is number one, and then number two is the high priestess, three is the empress, four is the emperor, five is the hierophant, six is the lover, seven is chariot, eight is a strain, nine is hermit, 10 is the wheel of fortune, 11 is justice, 12 is the hangman, 13 is death, 14 is temperance, 15 is the devil, 16 is the tower, 17 is the star, 18 is the moon, 19 is the sun, 20 is judgment, and 21 is the world. For the minor arcana, they help support the the bigger, the picture. They kind of are the little bits that kind of give you more insight of what the cards are kind of telling you, what you're needing to know. And um, it represents like the situation, the circumstances, and then those are made up of four suits. I mentioned they're kind of like the playing cards that were first introduced. It's the wands, the cups, the coins, and the swords. It starts from ace through 10. So those are numbered. And then you have your court cards that are pretty much well known as the king, queen, page, and knight. But you will find other decks that they have a name as like mother, father, son, daughter, just depending on what deck you have. And the four suits also re- represent and are associated with the elements. So like fire, water, earth, and air, as well as emotion, creation, wealth, communication, and thoughts. With tarot, I've always kind of been really interested in tarot, even before I started like my path and stuff. What about uh, you, Arlene? How has your relationship been with tarot? So with tarot, it's, I didn't come across it until a couple of years ago. I've seen it here and there, but it wasn't like something that I practiced or that I was in contact with often. I do own a tarot deck. Um, I purchased it shortly after, after receiving a dream in which the tower card was presented to me like in this huge ass panel like that's all I saw the tower card and then it was followed by I think it was the star card and so I was like okay I'm I need to get one like I I guess I need to get one so I went ahead and I bought one and I've actually it's taken me a quite a bit to to learn because it has so many cards it has so many I guess meanings and definitions and you know it's whenever I look at the cards I look at if it's like a like a like a wand or a sword or a cup or a pentacle and then I look at the number and then I look at like the position if any of of the of what it's if it's like a king or queen I also look at the major arcana and look at that I mean there's so much going on in the tarot deck Mm -hmm. that it can get overwhelming but I want to say that I don't know at least my tarot deck it's it always inspires like happy vibes, which is contrary to what a lot of people experience when they when they do their readings with tarot or when they use mm-hmm. tarot decks. They find it to be a little bit more dark. Um, but my deck is very is very cheerful, <laughs> and I like that. So I'm still learning. I'm not like a like a expert in the tarot deck, but I'm liking it so far. I'm liking it. And what deck did you say you have at the moment? I have, have the, one? yeah, I just have one. It's the Rider Waite tarot deck. 
and so it's like very like the the standard really and I like it I've seen others and I was actually tempted to buy other um illustrations of it but I don't know this one called to me and I was like I don't know it's kind of like this remembrance or like this what's the word it's kind of like when you talk to someone for the first time and then you you kind of feel like you've known that person for the longest time it's Mm -hmm. weird because like with this with the tarot deck or at least when I purchased mine that's how I felt it felt like a tool of mine or a talisman of mine had returned and I'm using it again it's just a matter of like remembering what the meanings are and just getting to to know it getting acquainted to it that's how I felt whenever I got my tarot deck just kind of like oh hey I remember you Yeah, uh, I my first deck was the water the Rider weight deck also, but before uh, I started getting interested in them again, probably like in 2017. I remember it was like around Christmas time, and I was like looking at decks, and that's when I found Bahati Life, and I saw she was like had some little online school thing, and I was like really interested. And I remember I had brought it up, and he was like, "Nah, you you don't need that." And then to your I was partner. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. To my partner. And he was like, no, you don't need that. And I'm like, "Ah, I guess. And then so I just kind of pushed it off. And but before then, uh, when I was like in fifth grade, I got a tarot deck. I got it from school. And because you know how here in Texas, they have those book fairs. Mm -hmm. Well, in fifth grade, I remember I got two books. I got that. uh, It was like a tarot deck with this little information. And then I got like a, a hieroglyph like teach you thing I got those and I remember uh just like playing with them in my room and like learning them and I didn't really know like I knew what they were but I didn't really like understand the capacity of them I just thought they were cool and I knew I shouldn't have them and then I had it for a while and I remember I had used I had uh, pulled my uh, teacher's cards one time and it had predicted they were gonna have uh, another child and they had just found out like that week that she was pregnant and he what? was like shook and it was cool and then uh my mom found them and I got in trouble and so then after that I didn't really touch them until 2019 I bought the wider weight deck and it was really hard at first to really like bond with it just because of the experience I had when my mom found mine like she was pissed and like I had to really get over that and that emotion and that kind of trauma with it for them to really like be understood like I could hear them but there it was like you know how you can hear something and you just can't make out the words kind of like a barrier yeah and so I had to get over that but I have I have that one which I don't really use the one I use the most is the the vision quest tarot and then I also have the Santa Meta one and those two I use the most and then I use Oracle decks, but yeah, it took me a while to get through and learn, you know, because when you hear people talk about it, they say to like, look it up and then try to do, or even feel your own intuition. And I'm such a person that like, I need to know. So I had to get past that, like a going to look and not listen inside of me instead, you know, that makes yeah, sense. I totally do that. And I, I also need to work on it. Like I, I pull it's like it's like funny because I pull my cards 
And then I immediately like motioned to go get the book to like look at what the meaning is. And then I'm like, no, 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 no. I have to pull back and then just be like, okay, use your intuition. Yeah. And my logical mind is like, but what's the answer though? You need to know. And my intuition is like, shh, it's okay. Just what do you feel? <clears throat> what do you see? I'm like, I see this. And then I go and look. Like after I finish my whole reading about myself and like listen to the cards. I'll go and look and be like, I'm like, okay. So because it helps like give me a little more of understanding. Uh, Cause sometimes like your own ego will be like, oh, you know, and then you go see the, imp- the interpretation and you're like, okay, you're dragging me a little bit. The next method of divination that I'm going to discuss, it, it falls in the same category as a cardomancy, which is what the tarot deck is. But I will talk about Oracle decks and Baraja Española. Oracle decks are a little more freeform than tarot, which means a lot more people find them easier to understand and navigate. Typically, an oracle card contains an image and then it's associated with the phrase or uh, or a word. And so the cards can be laid out in any format. And like tarot, they can be used for guidance and introspection. Like I mentioned earlier, some people find that the tarot are a little bit heavier in the energy. So Mm -hmm. the people that feel this kind of like tend to sway a little bit more to the oracle decks which are a little bit more more lighthearted and inspirational and that have like that positive feeling a little bit more so uh, some history on the oracle decks i as i was doing my research i came across the s hooper's conversational cards and these are actually one of the earliest if not the earliest oracle decks which were published in england in october the 2nd 1775 they're also referred to as a tragedy and comedy cards because they had like they had the words tragedy and comedy written at the bottom of each card and although very little information is provided the deck consists of 56 uncolored engravings each with a morally descriptive picture but no text other other than the title. Actually, these cards can be found in the Waddington Collection and in the British Museum Collection. So if you guys are ever near those museums, go check them out. They were initially designed to play a game in which the first card picked became the beginning of the story. And so each player then picked an additional card and then used it as inspiration to continue the tale. And so the name of this game was called The Exquisite Corpse. There was another deck that I came across called the Lenormand Lenormand deck, and it's an oracle deck, and it's also one of the earliest oracle cards in which they contained moral allegories and references to divine figures. And so around 1450, Fernando de la Torre, who dedicated his work to the Countess of Castaneda, created one of the first known divination cards in the Spanish language called El Juego de Naipes, also known as Game of Cards. And so Fernando mentioned that the deck could also be used to tell fortunes, but only on the subject of love. And so the Baraja goes back to the 14th century, and very much like tarot, it consists of four different suits called the bastos, wands, oros, gold coins, espadas, swords, and copas, cups. And many don't like talk about this much, but these cards are actually influenced by the playing cards that originated in China and then later adopted in Mamluk, Egypt. And so um, it's funny that earlier Ali mentioned, you know, that certain people dedicated their professions to 
creating these drawings and these paintings for these specific cards. And yes, I actually confirmed that in, in 1380, a naipero was a recognized profession. And so a naipero is also known as a card maker. What's interesting is that in 1384, Barcelona made a blanket ban on a new game called cards. And so that's what they refer to because they just, I guess it was used as kind of like a, a gambling thing and people were starting to get really obsessed in, you know, like the approach of the gamble, but then also like their fortunes being told and people were just like focusing in too much on that, that I guess it just caused a disturbance. And Barcelona was like, you know what, let's let's go ahead and create a band because we don't like this. And so another another thing that's important to know is the Baraja Española was also influenced by the Moorish styled cards, which were at one time produced in Catalonia during the late 14th and 15th century. There exist different patterns of the Baraja Española, which are known as the Castilian, the Mexican, and the Franco-Spanish, among others. And so each suit is made of 10 cards from one to seven, plus a sota, which is page, a caballo known as the knight, and rey known as king. They don't have a queen, which is interesting. I wonder why that's, that is. I want to say that it was because... Looking at the historical context of, of the countries, they really didn't give a lot of space to women. And so in order to kind of like keep them in their, quote, place, they and, and to make it more, more of like a, a manly game, then they just like focused on representing the male figures. Oh, very patriarchal. Very, very much. And um, I also came across a couple of other decks um, that, you know, it's just important to note and to just be just because they're interesting. And the first one, I'm just going to butcher its name because it's German and I don't know that language yet, but it's the Mainzer Karten Los Busch, <laughs> which is an oracle form book popular back in the 16th century. And so the tradition was that the answer to the querent's question is found in the book in the form of a poem. And so the cards are only used as a mean to arrive at the right poem. And so some fortune books, instead of using cards, made use of dice. And so they also use like the time of day or wheel to find the correct passage. So let's, for example, use the, the dice as, let's use a dice as an example, right? So there was a book, the book existed, and then you had dice. If you threw the dice and it landed on a certain number, then you'd go to the book and then find that number, whether it was a page or the poem, and then that was your answer. Another deck that I came across is uh, Les Sorti, written by Francesco Marcolini and published in Venice in 1540. And it was used for more serious and philosophical purposes. It was heavily influenced by fortune telling with dice also, but the book uses playing cards as its tools. In the beginning of the book, Les Sorti lists 50 questions that are the only questions that may be asked. So there were 13 specific questions that only men could ask, like, is it better to marry an ugly woman or a beautiful woman? <laughs> and then like 13 questions for women in which they, you know, they could ask, will the woman suffer for her lover, right? And then the remaining 24 questions are for both men and women. And, and it, you know, the questions were like, is it good to take vengeance on an offense or will the world find peace? 
And so I was just reading through this. I was just like, oh, the woes of 1540. (laughs) Although I will say that not much has changed. (laughs) Like the questions are still very much the same, just like in a different format. But I just found, found that like interesting and um, worth noting. Have you had any? Ha, are you familiar with La Baraja Española? Uh, yes, I do have. I have a deck and I use it sometimes. But when I first was introduced to them, is when I got my first cleansing. Um, my partner and I, we went to a lady and we did a full cleansing, coconut cleansing. And before we did that, she did, she read our cards and she used those deck. And I was just at awe because I had never seen that deck until that day. And then after that, and I didn't know what they were called because I didn't ask. And after like researching and trying to find that imagery, I found them, I found them on Amazon, but the deck that I got, I got it at a meat market. I saw it behind the lady and I was like, Ooh, how much? She was like $3. I was like, let me have it. And, but I've only used it once. I don't have that much experience. Do you have a deck? Yeah, I actually have a Baraja Española. It's funny. I my first deck was a Baraja Española. I was like 10. And I want to say, I, I can't remember why it, it was decided for me to have one, but, you know, I, I eventually got my hands on one. And I didn't know, like, what it was, what it was for, like, what it did. And so, but, like, just like the tarot, whenever I do remember having, like, this sort of remembrance whenever I, like, touched the Baraja Española whenever I had it in my hands whenever I was shuffling and you know I just like started playing with the cards started to like you know get those motions of shuffling uh once again and I remember my my cousins actually saw me with it and they knew more about it than I did I just thought they were cards and they were like oh she has La Baraja Española so Uh, One or two of them actually came to me and they asked me a question, just kidding around, which in retrospect, they were kind of hoping to get an answer, right, by, you know, by how they reacted to it. So, you know, just, I just shuffled them and then I just started talking. I can't remember what I was saying, like verbatim, but I would like tell them things. And then as I was telling them things, I could see it in their eyes that I was actually on the right track and they were like holy shit how does she fucking know this (laughs) and so you know I that was in Mexico I came back to the states and I completely forgot all about it and then I came into possession of one just recently my my cousin sent it to me and I like started using them and it was you know like that remembrance again like oh hey old friend how are you doing and I want to say that like the Baraja Española and this is just, I mean, my opinion, right? Like how I've, how I've encountered it, but it's kind of like a, if you have a question, then they will give you a specific answer. So like, if, if let's say if I'm like, okay, who, who is the one that's talking bad behind my back, then the cards will give you because the description, like the meaning of it, it, it tells you like the color of, of the other person like the the hair color like their temperament sometimes even their sign so it's like very specific it gives you very specific answers and so it talks it talks more about like the people who are in or around your circle than like the types of energies that are being influenced by the universe you know like 
if you ask it a question, it will tell you more about like the people and how they're influencing the outcome that you wish to have, as opposed to like what the universe is telling you and like what lessons you need to learn. That makes sense. Because when I had the reading, she, she laid them all out. Like she was looking at them. Like if they were like a mirror or like or scene and she's just like reading it off of that. And I looked at, I'm like, what do you see? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they're, they're a little tough nut to crack. It took me a minute to, to kind of understand it. But you know, what I did is I just like slept with them. Like whenever I, I'd go to sleep, I had them on my nightstand. So like our energies can kind of like fuse. And so that's what I did. And then I just like eventually continue to work with them. And I was like, I don't understand what you're saying. Okay, let me continue pull cards and figure out what you're saying. And and I like asked it different questions. And then I realized when I asked it something, I can't remember what it was, but like, it, it, it talked about me and then it talked about someone else. And I was like, oh my gosh, these are the, these are the questions that you're more mm-hmm. comfortable answering. I was like, okay, okay, I get you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then uh, what was really cool was I never heard of it was the the book the fortune the oracle fortune book the I don't know how to say that name um the mindset yeah I liked I like the idea of it you know this throwing the dice and then finding the book or because I wonder if you could do that with any book that you have not just that book that was made for that you know imagine just throwing dice and then opening the book and looking you know I feel like I feel like that's something that I mean, yeah, obviously, that's really cool, because then the answer comes to you in a poem. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, I feel like there there are other ways. I mean, there's so many ways of like divination that I honestly feel that it's whatever, however, the answers come to you in like whatever you're most comfortable with. Yeah. Um, And I think that's with divination is seeing what there's so much and like going to what kind of calls you and then seeing if that works for you because just because it calls you doesn't mean it's gonna work you know so it's like just matching and then fusing and then learning each other um was something that it's really important to look at when you're trying to find a divination tool Um, yeah and actually that the the mindset fortune book kind of like reminds me of of what you're going to talk about next of of bibliomancy tell us a little bit about that so a bibliomancy is is using books for divination (laughs) basically what the word what definition is it's what you do from what i've found through my research the the origin of it kind of it dates back to the Christian and Jewish practices as well as Roman, but you can also trace it back farther. And then there wasn't like a whole like history of bibliomancy from what I found. But the reason why I want to talk about bibliomancy is because this is something that I did way before I even went, started walking down this kind of path and doing like the witchy shit. Um, I used to do this when I would go to church and have the Bible, especially when times I was like having this, I needed clarity. I would just like ask a question and then flip through the book and land on whatever scripture. And a lot of times it worked. And then how I use it now is by books disappearing 
like they just like kind of jump at me and they they a lot of times they match with whatever I'm already learning how do you use um bibliomancy in any way I I want I don't think I've ever used bibliomancy in the in the sense that like I open it and then I like have I no I don't think I have (laughs) and in which like you open the book and then I kind of like look at the paragraph and then just focus on that I will say that I have been a huge bookworm as long as I can remember and so that's what destroyed my eyes right but um (laughs) but um I do like reading books and it kind of reminds me of going back to your to your to what you said earlier about how like books jump at you I feel like that is a f- I have been used I have been doing bibliomancy in that sense since I can remember like because all the books that have jumped at me have always had like a lesson that I've you know after reading the book I realized that it's always had a lesson that I needed to hear at that moment or something that I needed to learn and just recently you know I, I was trying to study a subject and like books just kept popping up at me and like my my cousin would send me the, the title and the cover of a book that I didn't even know I was going to need in a couple months. <laughs> and so she would just like send me all this information. And so just books like always appeared in that form. Mm-hmm. So maybe I didn't like actually open a book and look for the answer, but like the books just like came to me. It's like Spirit was saying, hey, I think you're going to need this in a couple months, or I think you need to read this now because you're going to need it in a couple months. But I mean, books have been, I don't know, a lot of people compare me to to Belle from Beauty and the Beast because yes, I do I do want that um, library. If yes, anybody ever wants to buy me something, my birthday's in September, <laughs> like feel free to get that for me. But um, it's interesting. I, I never really thought of bibliomancy as kind of like a form of divination. So that's, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah, like uh, especially this year, I've like accumulated so many I was looking at them today so I can write down like books I have so I keep a log of it and I was like shit that's a lot and but it's mainly because spirit puts them in my space like you need this book and I'm like okay I'll put it on my book list and then like I'll wait a little bit and they're like no you need it like right now I'm like but I really know I'm not reading that type of subject right now (laughs) you know (laughs) and so it's interesting. I love books. I love stories. So that my spirits know that's a way that I learn. And it really helps your third eye when you're reading and you're seeing those stories. Yeah, because you're visualizing every little detail that's that you're reading and it just helps it. It exercises that third eye muscle for sure. Mm-hmm. Another divination that we like to go over is creature divination. Me and Arlene love creatures. Arlene has a chihuahua and I have two cats. Creature divination is paying attention to the signs given by the animal and insect kingdom. So every animal and every insect, they have a meaning. They have a, something that they can teach you in their way. And a lot of times we overlook it, like we do a lot of things because of everything's going on but our the animals around us they impact impact us a lot and I've always kind of been a big like creature person I love animals since I was really little talking to them like I remember when I was young they would my parents would catch me talking to my dog or whatever animal was outside and they were like who are you talking to I'm like I'm just talking to 
a dog <laughs> and they're like okay so like they're like this- they're probably like oh pobrecita we need to take her out <laughs> you know I prefer uh, a lot of times you know company of animals more than humans in a way because with animals you know like if they don't like you like you know <laughs> like they don't hide it and recently probably probably this summer of 2019 I really started connecting more with the animal kingdom and um the insect kingdom spiders will come and visit me a lot um I remember I would sit outside uh at my parents house and like the wasps would come by and like flying around and all of them have a, a lesson or something they can you could take away and look at within your own life and try to apply just trying to pay attention I guess what's really helped me with with creature divination is when I would see an animal or a bug that out of nowhere disappears I look it up and see what it means and then try to think okay how is this applying to my life like how can I use whatever this meaning is like for instance I see the red cardinal a lot. Um, he always comes and like sings at my porch. And this week I was just kind of like slow stress and just trying to think about all the things that I have to do and then not trying to let them like bother me and like deter me. And then out of nowhere, I hear his like song. And then I, I looked up, I try to find him. And then I found him and he was just staring at me. And then I'm listening and then he just like jumps around and disappears. I can hear him. Cardinals, they give you a lot of strength and they help you like to get through and let, let you know that to keep on pushing. Paying attention to the visitations um, from creatures will really help you get a clarity and understanding and then looking them up and then looking out and seeing what's going on in your life at that moment. And they give you a lot of clarity. And just watching animals, they're hilarious. Like when they interact with each other. They have their own like, I mean, and of course, right. Um, they have their own like toods, their own characteristics. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I find it very interesting to, to, to watch them actually play it out and to, you know, whenever they're happy, how they react, whenever they're sad or angry mm-hmm. or whenever they want um you know, chicken with their food, how they react and how they ask you. Um, I I haven't had like a lot of experience with creature divination in the sense of paying attention to to um, whenever they, they come around and, and paying attention to my thoughts or what's going around with me up until recently. But um, for those who don't know, I actually had a German shepherd. Uh, her name was Zoe and she she transitioned in January of this year and so prior to that I was I was actually practicing communicating with them sending them images and of of like what I wanted or what I needed them to do and then like just paying attention to what images came to my mind I guess it was a form of creature divination but paying attention (laughs) to what images they sent to me and just kind of like communicating that way and Zoe was really good at that like she would I think she was she was more she was more willing to do it or try it than Diego my chihuahua because 
chihuahuas are chihuahuas and they're royalty as far as they know. And so Zoe was more like she she didn't um or rather she she was actually more more able to do it and and whenever I I tell her to like sit in my mind, she she immediately sat or whenever I told her to like come, she she do it. So she was really good. She was really good at it. So um that was my experience with creature divination in the form of communication. But I've also been paying attention a lot to to like the birds that I see, the the animals that I see, especially in my last trip to Alaska. We were we were driving down, my family and I were driving down um this road. And I mean, Alaska is absolutely beautiful, right? And all of a sudden I look outside of the car and I see seven in a row bald eagles, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, like all of them. And so I was like, oh my gosh, what the hell? <laughs> I was like <laughs> looking, like looking up the meaning. I was like, this is so cool. And I mean, I saw so many animals. I saw bald eagles. I saw black bear, brown bear, white wolves. It's just amazing. And so yeah. like being able to, to pay attention and to appreciate the, and acknowledge their presence is, I don't know, because I mean, animals, they don't, they don't come up to you as often, you know, as they did before, if, if at all. And so for them to choose you to like see them and to, for you to be in their presence, I guess that's just amazing. Mm -hmm. I know like when I was, when I went to Port A this few weeks ago, we kept seeing like, uh, what were they called? Oh, pelicans. Dragon. Uh Uh-huh the pelicans were diving into the water and getting fish and I knew that means there's swarms of fish there so let's get out the water but it was really cool seeing them like dive and the way they tucked their their wings in was like I just kept watching them I was just standing at the shore while the kids were playing and just watching them dive and it was just like like I was lost in trance watching it and then that night um, walking on the beach I found a pelican feather and like our um our flashlight kept going out and my cousin turned it on and right when she turned it on it was on the floor I was like oh and it was huge I was like it's coming home (laughs) and I and I said thank you and I I was so excited I still have it I asked I asked my ancestors for like an eagle feather but I mean they were like okay so we can't do that because you know (laughs) it's you know culture reasons cultural reasons so they were like but here's seven of them you can see them (laughs) as close as these this is as close as you will ever get to one so you can see seven and that should that should suffice (laughs) well if the eagle you know leaves it for you as a gift like you just happen to walk by and he leaves it for you you know that's a different thing because you know because the eagle has to give it up or whatever the animal is and that's how I felt because I was watching like it, I saw him twice, two days, and I was just watching him in the shore, like just dive. It was very relaxing. And I felt so honored to be able to like for there to be a little feather in my presence and right there. And I was like, oh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> true, true. All right, everyone. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back. The information shared on this podcast is based on Allie and Arlene's experiences, opinions, and research done beforehand. 
Neither Allie or Arlene are licensed practitioners. We advise you to do your own research on each topic mentioned. We are not responsible for your stupidity. And we are back. All right. So speaking of creature divination, I will continue with egg limpias. Egg limpias are an effective spiritual cleansing that has been rooted in Mesoamerican rituals. It rids the body of negative energy. Herbs, crystals, and other tools have been used or are also used during egg limpias. And so basically what it is, it's uh, it involves an uncracked egg. And the person who is performing the egg limpia, they will sweep it around your body and your aura. And during the sweeping, the egg absorbs any negative or stagnant energy. Once the sweep has been completed, the egg will be cracked and its contents will be deposited in a glass of water. And so it's important to note that the glass of water will not be filled all the way. It's just going to be halfway. And so that is where the divination begins, right? Like the reading of the egg begins. And so real quick, if you do egg limpias or you're going to do egg limpias, it's important to not use the glass for drinking purposes after. So once you've used that glass, just go ahead and put it aside in the corner where no one can touch it. Use that glass for future limpias. And the reason why it's because you don't want your child to drink from that glass because they can drink in any negative energy that's that's still in the glass and that hasn't left or for whatever reason is still there. So just be mindful of that. Okay, so after the egg is deposited in the glass, like I said, that's where the the divination begins. The energies that were in your aura or your body are projected in the egg. Another thing to know is that whenever you are reading the egg, you're looking at the glass from the side and not from the top. Because if you look at it from the top, chances are any lingering energies can be absorbed by you once again. And so things to look out for when you are reading your eggs, rotten smells, cooked eggs, black spots, spikes, clouds or swirling figures in the yolk, blood, anything weird in the egg, the egg should be as clear and as clean as possible. Depending on the reading of the egg limpia, it's recommended to have three or four egg limpias after to ensure that the energies are cleansed and, you know, it's nothing is stagnant. The energies are moving. And so the question, why an egg? And so the reason is the egg has at some level a component of life, whether it was or it no longer is, but it had that possibility. It acts as a spiritual vacuum that absorbs stuck and negative energy, therefore removing what is necessary or vital to you. And so another, another thing that was said to me whenever I was learning about egg limpias is in order to remove energy that is rooted in unconditional love and light, you need something animated to transfer the sickness from something that is alive to something that is semi-alive. And I want to emphasize that this is not similar to sacrifice. When speaking of sacrifice, when it's stopping a life completely, a life that could have continued and, and completed its soul contract, but suddenly stopped because it was sacrificed, right? With the egg, life was not completed, nor was it finished. It just didn't fully come to term. And in no way, which or form, am I okaying necromancy? I'll leave that to the church. But, you know, just don't purposely kill a sentient being because you want to 
try something new. Like that's just, that's not what we're going for. We're just trying to discuss forms of divination. I feel like egg limpias are a, a, a rite of passage for any um, Hispanic child. You know, they, mm-hmm. they've either experienced it whether witnessing it or having it done to them. I know I've had quite a few egg limpias. I have done quite a few egg limpias and I have witnessed quite a few egg limpias. But don't try this shit on your pets or your plants because that's just that's just fucked up, like in my opinion. Um, and so that's why eggs are used because it's it's a life that was just, it didn't come to full term, essentially. My experience with egg limpias is intermediate, but it's just something that, you just have to be sure to protect your energy as well because your energy can be mixed up with the person who's getting the egg limpia. Ali, have you had any egg limpias or any experience um, with it at all? As a child, I, I remember them talking about it, but I never really witnessed it. And I don't remember it happening to me as a child. Um, as an adult, I started lear- when I started learning about different teachings especially my roots, like Mexican descent stuff, egg limpias was like really common. And I wanted to know more, you know, like how to do it because I didn't really know at all. I've done it on myself and my partner a few times. I wanted to do it more. And he's got them when he was younger, his mom would go and do them on him. So he's very, um, not knowledgeable, but he experienced it. Uh, But what do you mean about not doing it on your pet's and plants like I've seen people put an egg like over their dog or like their cat is that what you mean or not to use them as the thing to rub on you so that's actually a really good question um so I have seen people do egg limpias on their pets Mm -hmm. and in regards to the pets and plants unfortunately a lot of people still don't consider them as sentient beings and so they don't think that dogs can get arthritis or, or feel happy or, or that they dream. And I'm generalizing a bit here, but like some of them treat them as just something that they can just throw away. And oh. they're not like plants and pets are sentient beings. I feel like anything that grows on its own is a sentient being, whether it's a plant, a pet, a rock, any of that. And so I'm just trying to like warn people against using a pet or a plant as like a sacrificial thing because I have come across um, some teachings in which a child has a susto or a child is scared. What happens when the child is scared is part of their essence of their soul Mm -hmm. like detaches but like still around there's a probability of that part of the essence to just kind of like float away and go wherever it goes right Mm -hmm. and so some people what they do is they get their family pet and they just rub it over the the child who just had the Mm. susto because what they're doing is they're kind of like infusing the energy and so if the piece of the soul that's trying to come back for whatever reason can't fully come back to the child then it will recognize the energetic blueprint in the pet and will like go into the pet and then because the pet is around the family that piece of the spirit will eventually make its way back to the child. Okay. Yeah. I've heard of that also of teachings of doing that, using the pet that, that knows the child and that mm-hmm. could entice the child spirit to come back. Use an egg, not your animal. Use an, <laughs> use an egg. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because I mean, there, I've heard of other things and where the plants do take on that negative energy that's in the house. And so because they do, 
they die. And the same thing goes with animals, right? Like if, if an animal just suddenly dies, then it's because a pet took on the negative energy that was like mm-hmm. on around that house. And so that's why I'm like cautioning those who are listening to, hey, if you're going to if you're going to transfer your negative energy, do it on an egg. Don't do it on your plant. Don't do it on your pet because they are sentient beings and and they do have a soul contract that they still need to fulfill. Just be smart about it and just use an egg. (laughs) If you're going to do this, (laughs) just use an egg. Yeah, use an egg, dude. The next uh, topic that we would like to go into is palmistry. So palmistry is reading messages off of your hand, using your hands. Everybody has their own blueprints on your hands. Nobody's markings or fingerprints would be the same. With palmistry, it's a very old type of divination. Through my research, if you look back at like the ancient wall art, you see a lot of like fingerprints and the way that they use their art and depict. They use their hands to make the objects. So palmistry has always been part of civilization, has been part of us for as long as we can remember. The earliest text was written about 4,000 years ago, and the Indian Vedas are one of the oldest religious texts written in the world, and they talk about hand reading. In China, The science of palm reading was used in medicine and in healing. Also, Chinese medical texts were the first to mention the importance of the lines in the hands and their diagnosis of diseases. Because with palmistry, everything that is on your hand means something. The lines and the way your hands look change throughout your life. Like if you look at your fingerprints, they're either have squirrels or like little mounts and China was the first to use that as identifying people. What I was reading, they were saying that the emperors, they would use their fingerprint as a seal just so, you know, they would know it's them. And then palmistry is also traced back to Egypt, to Greece, middle, the Middle East and Europe, the nomadic people from India who migrated in the 13th and 14th century um, are an important source of knowledge of palmistry. So what really got me into looking at palmistry as a divination tool is I was sitting outside recently and just looking at like all the lines, they kind of remind me like of scars in a way. And I was just really intrigued of how much of lines I have and how the connections were. And I wanted to know more. So I started diving more deeper into palmistry. So with palmistry, the most information you'll get is on the mounts and the lines of the hands. So if you look at your hand, um, some people say to use the most dominant hand to read. Um, I like to look at both. Mine are pretty much symmetrical in a way that I can get kind of the same, but my left hand does, since that's my dominant hand, um, it does have more things on it. And I remember a few years back, because I've always kind of been interested to see what my hands say of me like I remember I have found this kind of inscription it was talking about the mercury mount which is the communicator and that one is the mount that's connected to your pinky finger it talked about these lines that are right there and supposedly that meant like how many children you would have in that lifetime and I thought it was interesting and I looked I have two and I have two children that I birthed I was like hmm coincidental the mounts 
are the pads of flesh that rise up in the palm. So it's the big parts, the real fatty part on your hand. Their fullness and height vary depending on each hand. Each mount represents an archetype, a personality pattern, and a lot of times they repeat. You have seven mounts on your hand. So the first mount, Jupiter, which is connected to your pointer finger, and that one is the leader. And then you have the Saturn mount, which is the one connected to your index finger, and that's the scholar. The sun, which is the Apollo, and that's the artist, and that is connected to your ring finger. And then you have, uh, like I mentioned before, Mercury, which is connected to your pinky. And that one is the communicator. For Mars, there's two parts. So there's the inner part, um, like between your thumb and your index, that little groove, like kind of valley kind of area. And then also directly across. So like right here. Oh, you can't see. But um, right (laughs) below the Mercury mount, that little uh, spot, that was called the upper uh, Mars. And then you have the Luna, which is the moon. And that one is at the, the bottom of the hand. So under your pinky, the little fatty part. And that one's the visionary, the Venus, which is the lover. And that one's connected to your thumb. So your mounts, depending on how like pronounced they are and how they feel and like how dominant they are, depends on like their strength. And then you have your lines. So your lines pretty much like the little ones, they change throughout your lifetime, depending on like what you're going through, what type of like your health that you are in. Um, So they change periodically. I wish I knew when I was younger, maybe I can look back at like those little hand drawings that I made when I was little and see how the lines look. The lines are like the river of energy within your hand. So each line represents a specific quality, such as intelligence, vitality and emotional capacity so you have six major lines and many minor lines the main six one you probably might have heard they're the headline the heart line the lifeline as well as their saturn apollo and mercury which appear less frequently on certain hands and then also looking at the channel so if the line is deep i mean it's very dominant and then and like if it cuts or uh, it just stops. So it depends like if it's functioning well or there's been like a broken or a challenge that's happened within that line. So the heart line indicates the physical and state of the heart and an emotional capacity of the individual. The headline indicative of one's intelligence and one's ability to concentrate and focus. Your lifeline encircles the thumb in a wide arch so that doesn't mean because I've looked at different meanings of the lifeline because that's you'll probably see it it's really pronounced in some people mine's very long and supposedly that doesn't mean that you're gonna have a long life that just means your life is very um prosperous that's gonna be very fulfilling but not that you're gonna live to like 100 and some years old Oh, that's reassuring. Oh. <laughs> yeah, because my like, lapse. oh, I'm gonna die. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and well, depending on like how your health is, your it can you can see that within your lines too. Palmistry. I'm trying to learn to see on my hands before I like look at others. I do look at the kids a lot and my uh, my partners just to look at their patterns. And then you also have the Saturn line, also known as a line of security and the line of fate. 
you have the mercury line which also refers to as a line of of health this line appears in less than 50 percent of hands and then you have the apollo line it's also called the line of art or the line of recognition this line appears rarely, but when it does, it confirms creative abilities and the possibility of recognition. So that line, it goes across from the upper Mars and right below the Mercury. So it's like a straight line with the Apollo line. Have you had any kind of experience with palm reading or have you had it? I never had anybody do it on me. I think it's very interesting when they do, but I haven't. I've had it done twice, but I can remember my last one more than the last one. I remember the guy, we actually used to work together when I worked at the restaurant and he looked at both of my hands. And so um, he said, oh, you're going to have three kids. And I'm like, jokes on you because I ain't going to have kids. (laughs) (laughs) And um, and then he, (laughs) no, I'm not. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure he said a lot of things. I just can't remember. But I find it, I too find it fascinating how you can look at one's hands and just kind of like give them an overall reading. And and yes, I agree with you in in the fact that the hands change during time because I've noticed, you know, because I look at my hands sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so I've noticed that I have acquired some, some lines where they weren't before, just like the lines have changed or like one hand has some lines and then the other and so I just find it absolutely fascinating it's something that when I think of divination that's one of the first things that I think about I think about tarot and then I think about palmistry mm-hmm. and you know the crystal ball of course but I just find it fascinating and I, I would like to if you're bored and you have nothing to do and you're like I just want to mm-hmm. kill time then you can be like Arlene show me your hand and I can be I'd be like look <laughs> I do want to get more get more experience with it but it, I, I love it so yeah I was looking at my hands and like un, in my lover's Venus mount I noticed I have like a lot of like sh- lines they look like cuts going different ways and I was like oh my god when the hell this happened you know and oh. I was like, what does it mean I don't know like I know your hands you have chakras in your hands also and right. power like the middle part is I believe your oh I could be wrong but I think it's the heart mm-hmm. I think it is like yeah that. and that's where I felt it it's very my hands are very sensitive I can't I have to wear gloves when I wash dishes because my hands will burn yeah I just it's interesting finding ways to use divination it's so interesting how I've seen other people talk about the ways they use different types of divination and it's so creative and so in individualized you know, for that person, because you, you can't see how what they see, you know, so it's so interesting. No, yeah, absolutely. Because I wish I could read palms, but that's something that doesn't come natural to me, but it's just so incredibly fascinating. So another very interesting divination technique is the crystal pendulum dowsing divination technique. So This technique received a ton of recognition around the 18th century, and it's said that Leonardo da Vinci and Albert Einstein used some form of dowsing technique. And so it's essentially a weighted object on a string, and it's used as a channel for energy, preferably your spirit guides, because you don't want to have like an open invitation to just any energy. And so what you do is by observing the motion of the pointer, you will be able to get your answer. Pendulums can be 
something as fancy as a crystal or something as simple as a weighted, non-magnetized, symmetrical object hanging by a chain or a string. And so the thing with pendulums is you want to make sure that you program it either right, left, yes, no, maybe, not right now. And you want to definitely specify the source every time you use your pendulum. You know, like I said, it's preferable that you call on your spirit guides, your higher self, or an energy that you're familiar with in unconditional love and light, of course, right? Because you don't want to leave that door open to just any energy to just come through because you don't know. And so be sure that whenever you use the pendulum that you are not projecting your answers or like what you want the answer to the pendulum because we're holding the pendulum we can so easily project what we want it to say and so just make sure that you come from a neutral place be sure to clear the pendulum in between questions honor the pendulum by thanking it and so you just got to treat the pendulum like it's a rich single aunt that you're hoping will leave you her inheritance <laughs> it's like you got you got to kiss up to it because they're, they're very diva-ish because One thing that I've come across and then I've also read is that if you ask the pendulum the same question more than once, whether it's verbatim or in a different format, it will give you a different response every single time. And I get it, right? Like if somebody was to come up to me, ask me a question and then ask me a question again a week later, I'd get irritated and annoyed. Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, you know what? You know what? No, no, actually, it's not going to happen. He is not the love of your life or whatever the case. Or like, no, you're not going to fucking pass your test. Okay. Leave me alone. Um, So you just have to be very mindful of that. Be very careful. Kiss up to it. And so, yeah, I have a pendulum. I purchased my pendulum when I was 15, when I didn't even know what it was. And it's just, it was just so beautiful. It's a clear quartz. My higher self knew even when I didn't know what it was. And it was like, you're going to need this in like 15 years. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any pendulums, Ellie, that you um, like have, to work with? Uh, I do have a pendulum. It's a rose quartz, but I dropped it <sighs> and it cracked. And But I heard when they're broken in a way at the bottom part, they're even better. But I don't know. I don't, hmm. I haven't really used it. So I don't have much experience with pendulums. For sure. And another another method that, you know, we also wanted to cover is intuitively journaling. All of us, I want to say at one point, we've all done this. And I've noticed that recently they've like renamed it. And you've probably heard of this term brain dump. And so what it is, is you get to work and you have a lot of things going on and you pretty much just dump every like all of your thoughts onto either word on your computer or you just write them down and just kind of clear your head for for the day right that's how it has been explained in corporate america but what we don't realize is that intuitively journaling helps us explore our inner wisdom and intuition through writing and journaling And so it's a way of engaging with our spirit guides in a form of dialogue, which then opens a channel of communication. And so you can communicate through your guides also by journaling. And a lot of us either journal. What I like to do is I like to either like journal it, of course, or type it out. I feel like typing is much faster for me. So I just go ahead and do that. And so what you're doing is you are able to write without thinking and allowing the motions to flow through like anything that just comes 
to you. You just write, you just type. You can take it a step further and set an intention, ask a question to your guides, and then just just write or type and just see what comes out. I actually know a girl who that's how she does her readings. She'll like pull out an oracle card. She'll sit down, turn on her Scandinavian music and just like write pages and pages and pages and pages of whatever, you know, the message that person's spirit guides want that person to know. And I, I mean, I've seen her do it live and she just focuses and hones in on it and just, just writes away. And that's your reading. Like she'll give you a reading like that. She's very accurate. She's really good. Whenever you are journaling, it's kind of like a trans, at least for me is it's kind of like a trans where I'm writing or I'm typing and my body is just automatically doing this and I can see myself do it. But what I do is I just kind of like take a step back or like step aside and just let that energy, that message just kind of like flow through me and get either on paper or on my computer. So it's, it's funny because sometimes I am either typing or writing and I can hear that voice in my head of what it should sound like. It happens to me whenever I read and it might happen to you too, Allie, but sometimes it's like a sage. Other times it's a British gentleman and other (laughs) times it's just me in Spanish and I'm just like writing away and I'm just like, okay, I'm observing what's going on and I'm not interfering because once I start to interfere, then the message doesn't come through all the way. And then I, I read back and then it's just like someone completely different wrote it. You know, even even <laughs> now, like whenever I, I look at my assignments, I used to turn in for school, like I read them and I'm like, did I write this? Like, I'm smart. <laughs> I know words. And so I just find it I just find it interesting. And for for those that journal, definitely try just intuitively writing and just take five minutes five minutes to do it every day or however often and you'll be surprised as to what comes out when you go back and read it I journal a lot also I've had like a a weird relationship with journaling but I've recently tried to get more into it and I've found when I'm like doing readings like with my cards normally that's like an everyday thing and sometimes I don't want to journal that every day like on a piece of paper. So I've been using the good app, the good notes app on my iPad. And like, I have this one little book on there for good notes that that's all my conversations with my spirits. And I write a lot of notes on that. And that's how I keep my journaling together because I do have it in like physical books, but I don't go back that often to go look at it. And there's so many. So automatic writing is kind of how I understand intuitive journaling when you're done journaling do you ever look at the writing it looks totally different I'll look at my handwriting it'll start as my handwriting and then it gets sloppy and then I'll go back to my handwriting and then it gets sloppy again hell yeah like I I don't know I I've looked back at my journaling and I have found five or six different types of handwriting like you said it starts out as mine and then it just slowly turns into a writing that I used to write like when I was in fifth grade or I used to write like when I was you know in my 20s but like now it's just weird and recently I've been writing a lot like I'm an old lady (laughs) cursive and all pretty and shit and I feel like it's that British gentleman that just comes through and just kind of like writes 
And so he's very eloquent. Don't get me wrong. He's very <laughs> eloquent. But yes, I totally, I totally see different hand styles whenever I write. And going back to like, you not writing in like a journal, I've noticed that a lot of people don't like to write or journal or put anything on paper really because, and this may or may not be the case with you, but like a lot of people, you know, they had a diary and then somebody else came and just like read their shit and Mm -hmm. either shared it or like threatened them with it. Or it was, I mean, it was just kind of embarrassing because those are your most intimate thoughts. And so a lot of people just don't like writing. I've never really had that issue because I grew up, even though I have siblings, I grew up by myself. So I didn't have anyone to just come and look at my shit. And so I've noticed that a lot of people don't put their words in writing. And so they just have it somewhere electronically. And that works too. You know, like I said, I feel like when I type, when I type whatever, you know, messages are coming through, I type faster and I actually get the message across better because the words are just coming at me. And sometimes my hand just can't keep up when I write. So that's kind of why I have an issue with having a physical journal because when I was younger I had a lot of journals and my brothers are assholes and like all brothers (laughs) yeah and they're older than me and I remember they got hold of one journal of mine and they teased me about it you know because they're brothers they tease each other so it was very traumatic to have that experience and then I was always worried that somebody was going to see you know my thought so that's why I've really kind of drawn to having those little thoughts and those very like secret thoughts that just you know your your mind is trying to play out and think about somewhere where not many people can have access to it so that was that trauma that kind of went with it all right everyone it wouldn't be the magical teas with the oracles if we didn't talk about tea or coffee scrying so tassology is a form of divination or fortune-telling method that interprets patterns in tea leaves, coffee grounds, and wine sediments. Derived from the French word tasse, which means cup, and then mancy, which means divination in Greek. And according to the Encyclopedia of Occultism and Parapsychology, 5th edition, volume 2, notes that after a cup of tea has been poured without using a tea strainer, the tea is drunk. The diviner now looks at the pattern of tea leaves in the cup and allows their intuition to decipher the pattern. And so you might look for a letter or for shapes or anything that comes up during the actual scrying. And so another form of coffee and tea is scrying. And so scrying is a form of divination. And so the practice of gazing into a particular medium, visions or impressions. And so types of coffee, we have the black coffee, the white coffee, and the stirring. And for the black coffee, Basically, what you do is you look at the surface of it like a black mirror and just to see if what shapes and patterns form. And so some people may see visions, other people might might see different things. But while you're looking at your black coffee, you can just kind of like slowly soften your gaze and just look at it to see what comes up. For the white coffee, you can watch for patterns and shapes that appear on the surface as you slowly pour the milk or creamer into your coffee. There's an account on Instagram of the coffee cup witch, and she sometimes posts in either her posts or her stories. And it's just so interesting because she does it in slow motion. And I can only imagine that whenever you're doing it in real time, it's just super fast. Another way is stirring. 
what people like to do is some people like to do is they like to stir their coffee with the question in mind and see what appears. It's it's actually something that I kind of do every morning. I like stir my coffee, but I do it with like an intention as to what I want the rest of my day to go like. I haven't tried the question in my mind to see what appears, but I'll definitely try that. Have you ever had anybody read the tea leaves to you or or do you practice it? I don't practice it myself, but I feel like I have this memory of looking at like the tea wait, after it had been drunk. I, mean, I don't know where I was, but I remember looking. I just don't remember what I was doing. And but I drink coffee a lot. I don't I'm not a big tea drinker. I do try and take your suggestions on being more tea drinker because I'm trying to cut back on coffee. But I do want to try the stirring the coffee in the question I haven't done that like when I stir my coffee I just kind of just mix it and go in swirls and that's it and kind of just go on with my day but I want to try it and like what's it called charge it with an intention all right so next we will discuss the overall do's and don'ts of divination um what needs to be done prior during and then after and then just some things that we don't recommend due to our experience and word of mouth. So, Ali, do you want to talk about the Ouija board or do you want me to talk about the Ouija board? What do you know about Ouija board? Maybe so to, <laughs> so to be honest, like, okay, so I don't have like the date that it was created. I feel like we all kind of know the reason why it was created. They They came into popularity like toward the end of the Victorian era, which which was like in the late 1800s. And then it, it followed like the Victorian babies, like well into the beginning of the 1900s, all the way to like maybe 1920s, 1925. And so it became really popular along with, with seances back in those days. A lot of people would hire psychics who would either channel or would just like use the Ouija boards. I've never used the Ouija boards. I had an aunt who used the Ouija boards, but she was like, she asked like some question like am I gonna get married like yeah ma'am she got married she got five kids but um (laughs) that's really like my extent of how close I've I've come to a Ouija board I can't in good faith recommend you mess with this unless you take legit precautions what are the precautions stay the fuck away from them (laughs) um I don't recommend it. I always I get like this weird vibe from Ouija boards and I want to say I want to say I have a theory about it the reason why Ouija boards, and I might be wrong, right? Because I've never used them. I feel like the reason why Ouija boards have such a bad rep is because one, the people who have used them have like literally had an open invitation to any and all energies out there. The second reason is if Ali and I are using the Ouija boards, I might have my intentions. She might have different intentions. What are they? I don't know. What are mine? She doesn't know. And so we like go into it guiding this board with any ulterior motives insidious motives that we might have and so we kind of like just like just like the pendulum we project good and negative energy into this and kind of like confuse the energies and create like a whirlwind of a tornado filled with energies that are just like literally all over the place and so those are my suggestions with Ouija boards those experiences my thoughts my opinions that's just me though, right? I don't want to sound like the church and say, no, don't use them ever. Take yeah. your precautions rather. Yeah, because I think I feel the same way about them because of misuse of them. 
and people just going willy-nilly and like summoning whoever and their spirits that watch you you know and they're just waiting for an invitation so yes they know they might know your grandfather grandmother's name or boyfriend's name or what happened because there's spirits that watch you all the time and you don't know if they're if they're good or bad that's why you have to set those intentions and you got to speak it and tell them those boundaries from what i know about ouija boards from listening to like stories about them were to always make sure you close out because i read stories and heard of stories of people like something happening and they just freak out and they just not close it and then a lot more things come through because in my mind in my opinion how it looks it looks like a doorway so when you're like doing all these things and then you don't close out you're uh, allowing it to stay and to continue and I think it's more of the misinformation I'm pretty sure there's people out there that love a Ouija board and they know how to use them and do all that that's awesome just be mindful and aware especially when you're messing with the spiritual world things that you cannot see physically sometimes just always be cautious you know have discernment Arlene said calling on spirits don't just be like whoever is out there no like tell who's out there like say you look if you're asking for your ancestors ask for the ones that have your good your greatest good and you know love for you at heart you know because not everybody has good ancestors and they don't all have the same good intention so asking that and then creating that boundary and having your spirits that you you fuck with all the damn time to you know watch your back and when you can't see what's around you know within that unknown world yeah and so on that subject just imagine being in your house and you know you're sitting in your house and you're like you know what I want to make friends I want to invite friends over you know and just have like parties in my house and all that stuff you don't have any friends and so what you choose to do is open the door to your home wide open and just leave it like that 24 7 people are going to come into your home you don't know if like those people have good intentions they can tell you that they have good intentions and they want to be your friends and then rob you in the middle of the night and so this is why I caution or we caution against having an open invitation because there are trickster spirits out there that can trick you and make you believe that they are something that they're not like Ali said that there are spirits that watch you all the time like if you guys have not seen Insidious please go see it right now and I, I don't mean to like fear monger, right? There are spirits that will that will watch you and that will just wait because that's literally all they're doing. They they don't have anything else to do but just wait and watch. So it's important that whenever you are doing any type of divination to call on your spirit guides, call on your higher self because they're the ones that have your best interests at heart. Well, I forgot to mention when I was talking about uh, tarot is when you're done talking with your spirits and with other people's spirits to close out and to finish the reading because then they'll try to continue talking to you because you didn't you didn't set that boundary so I just wanted to to put that out there so I forgot to talk about it during the tarot for those sorry for those listening how would you recommend that they close out yeah so when you're done reading so I always say thank you for the message that came through for their guidance for their love and let them know like hey the reading is done and that's it you know close it out let them know be very vocal I think that's something I had to learn too was to be very vocal and be able to speak what I I want and let them know and not just be like assume that they know however it comes out say it 
what has been like one way in which you forget to close out and then like they're still trying to talk to you somebody interrupts me and I'm like in the middle of a reading and I don't close out and I get distracted by something and then I start seeing it or sometimes I say pause I'll be right back and then we continue you know (laughs) yeah because they know they know my life and then another thing we wanted to point out was to always center yourself when doing some type of divination grounding yourself keeping you grounded in this space so you don't float away while you're channeling while you're within a whole other dimension is to help center you and keep you where you know so your spirit knows where to go and also you know finding ways to do self-care make sure to cleanse yourself Um, it's also really good to do when you're doing some type of divination come to the spirits clean when I do rituals I like to always take a shower and then wherever I'm at like if I'm at a social gathering or I'm doing something that has collected a lot of energy I'll go take a shower and that has really helped me to keep me centered and grounded uh, what about you hell yeah I like to shower I like to shower and I feel like showering is another form of grounding as well like I mentioned earlier like I just took a delicious bath earlier today and so that's how I like to center and ground of course whenever we're doing something that's much heavier, I recommend doing that because think about it. We are, we're trying to ascend. Going back to the house analogy, imagine if you had your friends come over and they wanted to hang out and they smelled bad and they took off their shoes and they had like holes on their socks and that smelled bad and the shoes smelled bad. And then they like haven't showered in days. You just probably take them to the bathroom and give them a shower there like you know because we can but like spirit can't do that they can't be like I'll shower you right now they're just gonna be like I'm gonna go so you can clean yourself and then you can come back later when you're clean so Mm -hmm. you you just can't walk into someone's house like muddy ass shoes and walk all over you know it's the same here you have Mm -hmm. to just make sure you cleanse yourself and and that you're always clean and you're ready And you're going places, I've noticed, and I've seen and got recommendations from other people to always cover your head. So like put a hat, a bandana, something to keep your crown covered. Just because when you take a shower, you're still kind of open, your pores are still open, and you just want to not draw in any energy that you were trying to get away. One thing that we definitely agree on is cleanse your talismans. We recommend to to at least cleansing them once a week um you're exposing yourself to energy, which they then carry ali how often do you cleanse your talismans so for talismans it could be any kind of jewelry that you wear a lot that you always kind of put on yourself and if it's a crystal form depending on the type of crystal you always want to cleanse it so like dark crystals like a obsidian or tumbling you want to cleanse those periodically because um they absorb that negativity I take them off a lot and I'll put them next to my um, my selenite gear that I have. And I have it near like on my, my creature altar. I'll put my necklaces there too. So the obsidian necklace that Arlene gifted me and my and the uh, Inanna star that Arlene gifted me. Uh, I like to wear them a lot. I charge them for like protection. And when I notice I've had them on for a few days, I'll just go and just put it there or put them on my regular altar just so they can get cleansed. Always want to cleanse it. 
especially when you're in social settings and you're wearing certain crystals and certain jewelry like copper is really good also for repelling um, negativity is protection sterling silver is also really good to wear and to put on um, if you're able to wear gold that's also awesome but yeah just when you feel it like you know it when they feel congested you know, if you're really have that relationship with them and y'all really fuck with each other, they'll tell you. Yeah, they'll tell you. One thing that I like to do is I like to interview my deck whenever or shortly after I purchase it, just so that way I can kind of get to know its strengths, what readings it prefers, what messages it likes to give. It's, that's something that I've heard some people do, some people do, other people don't. And it's entirely up to you what you choose to do with your deck or how you choose to connect with it. But some decks I do interview, others I don't. I don't know. It's just just establishing that relationship and whatever you're comfortable with. Yeah, I like to do that too. I like to ask them to show me how they work in the, in, within a reading. And that's normally the introduction of them. And then we just continue. Yeah. Um, and I also like to carry my deck. So the decks that I, I use a lot, um, I either put them in my purse in a little pouch or like Arlene said, put it near my bed. Um, don't you put yours next to your pillow or something? I actually put it on my nightstand, which is next to my bed. And so I just like go to sleep with it. That's where I have my, my mini, mini altar. And then I have like some crystals in there. So I just have them there. That's how I like to infuse my energy with them because mm-hmm. we're there. Why not? Why not? Why the hell not? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think also something that's really good to, to keep in mind is when you're trying to figure out your your own divination tool is to be mindful that it's okay if certain divination tools don't work for you, especially the ones that are mainstream because everybody sees like people reading tarot or oracle or dice or certain things. If that's not your cup of tea, then that's okay. You got to find which one is yours and that will be able to be unique with you. Right. You're trying no. To just- Absolutely. And I was looking at the list of of divination, different types of divination, and that list is so incredibly long. So if like like tarot doesn't work for you or, or coffee or any of the items or methods that we mentioned during this episode didn't work for you, I mean, there are so many more other that you can you can use and then who knows maybe there's one specific type of divination method that you create and it's very specific to you and your gift so you know just keep that in mind don't get discouraged it's it's just practice it's exercising that intuitive muscle and just practicing it on a daily basis so well that is it for today's episode Like I mentioned, these are just a handful of divination methods that we covered today, but there are so many more methods. Um, It all boils down to what you're most comfortable with. So thank you so much for tuning in. Keep an eye on our Instagram account at magical.tease.oracles. Remember that magical is spelled with a C and K to stay up to date with all things magical. We will also be hosting our monthly live session on Instagram. And so there we will be able to answer any questions you might have of this episode, previous episodes, or us. Until next time. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. You can also find us on Instagram at magicalteas.oracles.